The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Disability Law Show. John Scholes here. Martin Willens, always available for you outside the hour of the show. How do you do that? Really simple. Give them a call, 1-855-821-5900. Won't cost you a penny to reach out to uh, to Martin and have a chat at least. That's uh, that's no problem. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca, and uh, you can email anytime. We'll get to a bunch of those during the show. They're stacking up, so we're going to get to those. we got a bunch uh, piled up over the holidays, so we're trying to still uh, work our way through that pile. So yours may be coming up shortly if you've sent one recently. And uh, and there you go, lots to get through. But the week that was, pal, what's uh, what's on your mind? Yes, thanks, John. So uh, the week that was is an interesting claim, and it is applicable to people living with disabilities who have made claims to insurance companies and their claims were denied due to pre-existing conditions, which is something that we've discussed many, many times before, but I'll use this specific one as an example. Um, I've said this before, when you hear the phrase pre-existing condition, in layman's terms, everyday terms, you're going to think it's something that you had at some point, therefore it is pre-existing, which would be correct. But under the terms of a disability policy, which, as I always say, is a contract, and the contract has certain definitions, provisions, rights, and obligations, the term pre-existing condition doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as we understand it in everyday terms. When you look at the policy, you have to see how it is defined. What is pre-existing condition in that context? And to be clear, it's not the same in every policy. So different policies with different insurance companies have different pre-existing conditions. Why is this important? If you have disability insurance through your employment with an insurance company, you may have started to work there on January the 1st and your coverage may have kicked in, meaning your long-term disability coverage on April the 1st. Because generally for many people, there would have to be a three-month probationary period before you will have benefit coverage through your employment. If you go off work within the first year of coverage, not necessarily from the first day that you started to work, but the first day that you started to have coverage, which is called the effective date of coverage. If you go off work on a disability during that first year, the vast majority of long-term disability policies will provide that if your disability is as a result of a pre-existing condition, as that term is defined in the policy, then your claim is excluded. So the big question then is, what is a pre-existing condition and what timeline is it that we are looking at? For the vast majority of policies, it will provide that if you had treatment or medical care or were provided prescription medication for an illness or a condition that is directly or indirectly related to your disability during a certain period of time, it's deemed to be a pre-existing condition and therefore your claim is denied or terminated or excluded rather. So with respect to the one that I'm going to speak to you about now, the policy provided that if the person had treatment, medical care, or was provided prescriptions during any, if there is a 90-day period during which they did not receive medical care, 
then it is not a pre-existing condition. And in this case, the 90-day period included the 90 days before the person had coverage and the 90 days after which they had coverage. The insurance company, and I've seen this happen not once but twice, the insurance company looked at it and said, well, we see that you had treatment for a condition, let's say it's mental health, for anxiety in the 90 days after you had coverage and you went off work within the first year due to anxiety, therefore your condition is a pre-existing condition and it's excluded. However, when you actually look at the terms of the policy, the policy provided that the 90 days prior to the coverage also should have been considered and during that timeline the person making the claim did not have any medical care did not see a doctor and was not provided or prescribed with prescription medication for anxiety or any condition that may be directly or indirectly related to the ultimate disability so what the insurance company did here is they interpreted misinterpreted their own provisions in their own policy. We did resolve this claim. And it was quite frustrating because, you know, when an insurance company has a duty to adjudicate claims in good faith, we've said this before, right? So you as the layperson making the claim, you don't even have access to the policy. So when an insurance company denies the claim, they come to you and say, well, we've looked at everything. We deem this to be a pre-existing condition. We're going to deny the claim. How do you know whether they're correct or not? Because you don't have access to that policy. So the best thing that this person could have done was reach out to us because we have experience in dealing with policies, reviewing them, understanding how a pre-existing condition may be defined, right? You want to go to somebody who knows what they're doing and who knows and has experience with LTD cases. Um, So we, we reviewed the policy and saw that the insurance company ignored the previous 90 days and we asked the client the person did you have issues or any any visits with doctors during that time frame they said no it only started after i started my job now unfortunately for the insurance company as much as they wanted this to be a pre-existing condition because it frustrated them that there was this this gap in time where the person did not have any treatment for the anxiety that they still had to then pay the claim because that was the only logical conclusion. It was the only way to deal with it in the context of this is not a pre-existing condition. So had that person not come to us, they would have accepted that the pre-existing condition defense raised by the insurance company was correct because again, they don't have access to the policy and they would have gone away with no benefits. When we got involved, they ended up getting a very, very reasonable resolution settlement in terms of a denial, which was unjust. And the insurance company ultimately knew that. So what we did there is we took over all communications. We pointed out why this was wrong, and we got the client a compensation that was well-deserved. And what I'm trying to communicate here as well is if there is a claim that is denied, you as the person making the claim, be it because of a pre-existing condition or that the insurance company says you don't have enough medical evidence or for any other reason, don't simply accept that the insurance company is correct, that it is this David versus Goliath situation. You have rights. And the best thing that you can do is have somebody 
who deals with long-term disability claims review the policy with you, review the denial letter with you, and review your circumstances and potentially the medical records as well so that you can understand after having a discussion with us what are your options, be it whether you want to pursue an appeal or whether you want to litigate. Now, we've said many times what our position is on appeals, but it's not to say that some people do not choose to do that. Remember then, in that context, that there's a limitation period within which you have to file a lawsuit that continues to run if you did pursue an appeal. But when we get involved, as we've said before, we pursue legal claims and we take over all communications with the insurance company. Nothing goes to you anymore. It all goes through us so you can focus on your recovery and your treatment. And in the claim that I'm speaking about, the person was so relieved that they didn't have to deal with the insurance company because the stress of the denial, the stress of the thought of not having any financial um, resources coming their way was extremely anxiety-inducing and stress-inducing, which obviously worsened the person's condition, which was anxiety itself to the extent that they could no longer function, right? So it it is very helpful, I know, to many clients and people out there when you have somebody dealing with the insurer so that you can focus on your recovery. You know, it's, it's amazing whether it's, well, it doesn't really matter if it's a physical or mental disability in this case. The fact that you just said that you guys take over the case and communication with the actual claimant ceases, that can rival a lot of uh, medical intervention as far as someone feeling better. What a massive relief because these people that are that you're dealing with are already down. They're already in a weakened state and having to deal with the insurance company, have that lifted off their plate. Man, oh man, that's talk about the talk about the clouds clearing for sure, right? You know, it, it is, uh, I know it's myself and the members of the team, as we have the various offices throughout Canada, we field calls from people in this position every day mm-hmm. where they're struggling because the insurance company denied the claim and the stress. I mean, yes, we deal with it on an everyday basis. Now I've been handling disability claims for years, yeah. but it's it's never lost on me when I speak to somebody that you can hear the desperation and the stress and the frustration and many people break down on the phone when we speak with them. And it, I mean, you're human. So I, my heart goes out to them. When you have a discussion and somebody says to me, I've got three children. Um, I don't have, I'm a single parent. Uh, I've got a mortgage to pay. Oh, the insurance company simply doesn't want to listen to me. I don't know what to say to my children. I go, I fly off into rages because I'm so stressed because I have no money. And it's not fair to deal, to treat my children this way because I I just don't know how to manage it because the stress is just simply overwhelming. To then get involved and take over and represent the person and trying to get them the best settlement that is possible. It is very rewarding. And I know that many of them appreciate it as well because just not having that stress of dealing with an insurance company where they can focus on their health is a huge load taken off. I know it's so true. I mean, I've never been to, to the you know to the point where I've been on disability and dealing with an insurance company. But even something like a fender bender in a car accident, you see that phone and it's the insurance company calling. He says, "Ah, oh, you just get that that bile in your mouth going. Oh, I got to deal with these people again. This is the fourth phone call this week, so on and so forth." So I can imagine relief for someone in, in sort of some 
physical or mental incapability, the, the relief of you guys taking over and taking care of business for sure, it's uh, it's huge. Emails is where we're going to go after a uh, short break, so stick around for that. Feel free to send one along anytime, not just for the show. Martin and his team answer them all the time. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. And you want to leapfrog that, go right for the phone number. That's one 821 5900 And we'll continue after that short break right here on the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, we're back. This is the Disability Law Show. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. John Scholes here. Martin Willems is uh, joining, of course, does all the heavy lifting. Sam Fury to Mark and LLP. That's how you reach out to Martin anytime. And the phone number, one 821 Email we always use every week. You can use it as well. And that is help at disabilityrights.ca. First one of the show, here we go, says, uh, guys, my LTD claim was denied approximately two years ago, and I returned to work, and now I'm on disability again for the same reason within the last three months. Is there any legal recourse for that decision? Reason for denied claim is that they thought I could work at another job, was not totally disabled. What do you think? Okay, well, the first thing that jumps out at me is this approximately two years ago comment, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because that immediately has alarm bells ringing and red lights flashing. The reason why I say that is when a claim is denied, there is something called a limitation period. And the limitation period is the timeline within which you can pursue a legal claim. And if you don't do it within that particular timeline, you are at great risk of not being able to pursue the claim at all because using legal language, your claim will be time barred or statute barred. Now, of course, many people say to me, well, ask me, what is the difference between the appeal timeline and the limitation period? Mm -hmm. The limitation period is something that is set in the statutes and acts. Right? Every province has its own limitation period, and you have to look at the Insurance Act of that province to see when does it start to run and how long it is. So in this case, the person says, I was denied LTD approximately two years ago. So that is key because the limitation period is two years. But there are some instances when it may not be two years. right? And it may be if the insurance company, when they denied the claim, did not advise the person of the running of the limitation period. And that applies in BC and Alberta. So it really depends on when the claim was denied and what did the insurance company advise in its denial letter that they tell the person about the running of the limitation period. Now, that's not applicable to all provinces, but in some of them. The key point here is you need to speak to to a disability lawyer Immediately. Like, don't wait until tomorrow. Get on the phone right now because there it is. Time here is definitely of the essence because, again, the two year timeline begins to run from either the date that the claim was denied or in BC and Alberta. If you had been paid benefits two years from the date that the next payment would have had to be made. And it would be interesting to see when this claim was denied, and if uh, clearly benefits had been paid because the person says my claim was denied approximately two years ago and then they returned to work. So I'm assuming that they had been paid for a period of time, which may extend that limitation period a little bit. 
but we won't know unless we actually review the actual details and the circumstances. But you don't want to miss that limitation period. Again, to anyone listening, if your claim is denied, reach out to a disability lawyer so that you can discuss your options. Because the limitation period, once it is denied, and once benefits have stopped being paid, the limitation period starts to run. And if you are pursuing an appeal, it continues to run. Many people think that once that appeal is done, if I do engage in that process, that the limitation period, the timeline within which you can pursue a legal claim only begins to run at that date. That is not correct. It starts to run. There are triggering events. It usually is when you knew or ought to have known of a claim, which in terms would be when the claim was denied or when the last payment was made. So you want to make sure that you have some advice on when the limitation period begins to run, regardless of what you decide to do, whether you're going to pursue an appeal, whether you're going to pursue a legal claim, you need to know what the timelines are. And in this case, the person is asking, is there any legal recourse? There may be. There definitely may be. Now, they did go back to work, and now I believe that they've gone off again. Mm -hmm. So that in itself opens a whole different discussion. How long did they go back to work? When did they go off? What is the new? It seems to be the same reason. So there are some recurrence provisions that become applicable. But I'll explain that further because I know there's another question coming up with a similar circumstance, very similar. But I think we'll speak about the recurrence provision there. But on the other one, reach out to us or anyone who handles disability claims because we want to know when did that limitation period begin to run. And again, after that email, always uh, follow up with a phone call. Encouraged to do so. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Yeah, here's that email you're just talking about uh, moments ago. Martin says I attempted to return to work while on LTD because I thought I was better, but uh, had a recurrence. There you go. I've been told by my insurer that if I tried another return uh, to my own occupation, I would not be insured because they are not contractually obligated to assist with that, since I am far beyond the change of definition. Is this true, even if I became well enough? That's such an, this is an interesting question, and it's somewhat complex, a little Mm -hmm. bit complicated. So let's try and break it down. This person attempted to return to work while receiving LTD benefits because they thought that they had been better, but then they had a recurrence. Then it says, I have been told by my insurer that if I tried another return to my own occupation, that the insurance company says that they will not be insured because they will they are in the any occupation phase. So it seems from what I'm reading that when they went back to work the first time, had a recurrence, the insurance company started to pay again. But now, if they go off again, the insurance company says, or if they try to go back to work to their own occupation, the insurance company is saying, well, we're not contractually obligated to assist you with that since you are beyond the change of definition. Now, what does assist mean? Let's speak about this in, in, in an explanation as I best can do it using this example. If you go off work and you're receiving long-term disability, you try to do a return to work and you fail and you go off again, your policy will have something called a recurrence provision. It is crucial when you do the return to work because in this instance, if you look at it, if you go off work within the, you go off work and you try to return to work within the first two years, generally most policies have a two-year own occupation period. So they are interested. Are you able to return to your own occupation? 
that's of relevance to the insurance company during the first two years. And if you do go back to work during that timeline and you fail, it depends on how long you went back to work for, were you working full-time, were you performing your full duties, because the vast majority of policies do provide that if you did go back to work during that timeline and if you failed and had a recurrence of the disability due to the same condition within the first six months of your return to work, it is deemed to be a continuation of the same claim. In other words, you don't need to file a new claim where you have to satisfy a new waiting period. But in this case, clearly the person is now no longer in the own occupation period. They're now in the any occupation period. It seems that they're considering going back to their own occupation and the insurance company is saying, well, we don't need to assist you with that. I'm not sure if they would say, well, we may pay you some benefits as a top-up during the time that you try to get back to work. But they're saying, because it's your own occupation, it's not of relevance to us because we're simply looking at, are you unable to work in any occupation, not limited to your employer, any occupation for any employer in any setting, even on a part-time basis? That's what any occupation means. So I will add to this as well. When they say they will not assist, if this person does go back to work to their own occupation, and let's say they go off again during a certain period of time, it depends on how long they've gone back to work. Because I would say they could still file a claim with the insurance company depending on how long they've been back to work because it may be deemed to be a new claim. Right, And if they did go back to work and they were only able to work a few hours a week, that may be that they're still disabled from working in any occupation because their capacity is limited. The assessment really is, are you unable to work in another occupation based on your education, your training, and your experience for any employer in any setting? And key here something that would pay you roughly the same as your LTD benefit amount. So it depends on what the capacity is. If the person is only able to go back on a part-time basis working 20 hours a week, even if it is their own occupation, and they have no capacity to work more than that, we can raise an argument based on the medical evidence as well that they still remain disabled even in any occupation phase because their capacity is limited. They cannot earn the same amount of money as the LTD benefit or if there's a different percentage defined in the any occupation phase, even in their own occupation, meaning that I would translate that to any other occupation as well. So I think in this case, like with all of them, contact us so that we can have a better understanding of what exactly it is that the insurance company is saying, where you are at with the claim, and what your capacity may be. Because if you did go back to work, you want to make sure what the options are, what the policy provides for, and if you can still access disability benefits, if you are unsuccessful with the return to work. This uh, this next one's interesting, uh, Martin. Listen to this. It says, uh, guys, I'm on LTD for heart failure for one year now, so on LTD. I have a bad shoulder problem worsening. My employer is not aware. I'm a city bus driver for 10 years. That's really hard in the shoulders. Trying all types of rehab and have a good family doctor involved. He said, next step, a specialist to get involved. Can the insurance cut me off of this? How should I handle this? Thank you very much. Wow. So okay. on LTD, but still working, right? On LTD and has heart failure for one year now. So 
it says my employer is not aware of this that he has a bad shoulder so is he back at work or is he doing a rehab or is it just something that he has heart failure he's not working now he's developed this new problem and he's concerned right. that he, if he does try to go back to work maybe he won't be able to do that either mm -hmm. many people ask me this question right so i went back i went off because of a anxiety issue but i also have a bad back which is now worsened uh, because i actually think of cases that have come up like this and because it is a different medical condition or an injury that i now have as opposed to why i went off work in the first place does that count is that relevant yes it is and the reason is when you go off work say you go off work because of the heart failure like in this case the insurance company accepted that you are totally disabled they're paying you benefits. Now you have more conditions, specifically the bad shoulder. It is going to affect your ability to do your occupation, which is that of a bus driver. And it's worsening. You want your you want to see your doctors on a very regular basis. Report to the doctors the ongoing problems that you have. You're going to see a specialist. Make sure you do the same with the specialist as well. The insurance company cannot cut you off because of this. No. Mm. The insurance company should consider your medical conditions, not just the reason of work in the first place, the heart failure, but all the conditions that you have to assess whether you are unable to work in your own occupation as a bus driver and after whatever the own occupation period timeline is, once that ends, whether you remain unable from performing the duties of another occupation. So it's not we're just looking at the heart failure, any other condition we're ignoring. It is we're looking at you as a person. Are you able, because of your medical restrictions and limitations, to work in another occupation or your own occupation, or are you not? Regardless of whether new conditions have arisen during the timeline, whether you've been since you've been receiving long-term disability benefits. Again, if any confusion still uh, lingers, feel free to reach out to Martin and his team anytime as we uh, get to a short break here. one 821 5900 is how you do that. We'll go back to our email here shortly and send one along, please. It's help at disabilityrights.ca. And if we have time, we'll go to our other website where you can contribute uh, anonymously called mydisabilityquestions.com as well. This is the Disability Law Show. Short break and we're coming right back at it. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And back, more of the Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy. Sam Firu to Mark and reach out anytime. Make that phone call. Just have a chat. Get some information before you uh, go any further or send an email. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Next email up says, guys, I'm currently on LTD. I have been asked to return to work by my employer, uh, by, my, by my employer to a job with less pay, $25,000 per year less. I'm not able to go back to my job due to my disability. Does LTD have to compensate me for the amount of money I'm losing per year by going to the new gig? Wow. What do you think, Martin? Interesting. You have to be careful here. I would say, firstly, go have a discussion with your doctor. I don't know what the disability is, mm -hmm. but the employer asking you to go back to a job with lesser pay, various issues arise here. So firstly, are you able to go back to this other job, this other occupation? That's the discussion that you should have with your, with your doctor, your treatment team. And if they agree, and if you do return back to work, again, it depends on what... Where are you in the LTD phase? 
is it that you're still in the own occupation phase, then the insurance company may say to you, well, we will support you, P possibly they may say that, that we will support you and that we may provide you with a top-up because that's the question here. Does they, do they have to compensate him for the amount of money that he may be losing? Um, but it depends on the calculation of the benefit and what you were earning before. I mean, if you were earning $300,000 before and now you're earning $275,000, that's... That's a different situation versus if you were earning 50000 and now you're earning 25000 All of those are relevant factors. But if you did go back to work, is it during the any occupation phase? Because then the insurance company may say, well, no, you may be now making enough money in a different occupation for which you and your doctor say you are qualified to work in based on your medical restrictions and limitations. And because it's in the any occupation phase, it doesn't have to pay you the same amount of money as your pre-disability income in your own occupation. Remember what I said earlier in this segment, that when you have a disability claim and you're looking at whether a person can work in the any occupation phase, you're not simply looking at are they able medically to do it. You're also looking at what their transferable skills are and very importantly, what that other occupation pays. Does it pay roughly the same as your LTD benefit amount, which generally would be 60 to 70% of your pre-disability income? Or in your policy, does the policy provide that the any occupation phase is assessed as a occupation that would have to pay you 75% of your pre-disability income? So firstly, you want to look at your policy. Is there a percentage? If there isn't, then the assessment is, something that would pay you roughly the same as your LTD benefit amount. So going back to this question, if you're in the any occupation phase now and the employer is offering you a job that pays you $25,000 less, does that income that you may make equate or similar to your LTD benefit? Because if that is the case, and if you are able to do that job, it may very well be that the insurance company will not top you up. So again, like with everything, we will need further information on this. And key to this, I would want to know where in the LTD phase are you? Is it in the own occupation phase? Is it in the, in the occupation phase? And remember, if you do show that you have capacity by being able to go back to this job, which pays you $25,000 less, and you're still in the own occupation phase, the insurance company may look at that and say, well, if you can do this, why can you not do your own job? Or if you're looking, if you're able to do this, we're going to start preparing you for a denial based on the any occupation phase. Right. So you want to be careful when you do take steps to return to the workplace. Not to say that you cannot do that. Please don't accept, uh, understand that's what I'm saying, because I'm not. If you're able to go back to work, you should, but you should have a discussion with your doctors as to what your capacity is and you should have a discussion with a disability lawyer as to how this may impact your entitlement to ongoing long-term disability benefits. Again, more information. You want to uh, hash it out with uh, Martin and his team, you could do so. Thank you for the email, one 821 5,900. All right, uh, strap in, man. We've got a bit of a long one here, but it's interesting. It says, guys who worked for my company for 30 years as a field equipment installer. Very physical job. I've been on LTD for almost two years because of a repetitive stress injury on my knee and will require replacement at some point. 
The insurance company tried to force me back to work six months ago, and I told them I would not return till there was a work placement assessment done. They arranged for one, and the results were that I could not return to my job due to my injuries. At this point, the insurance company arranged for a vocational assessment to be done to see what kind of job I could do. After completing a five-hour online questionnaire, the insurance company told me that given my injuries and what the uh, test results were, that I was employable to answer phones at the, uh, at the call center. At this point, the insurance company told me I have to quit my current job and they have terminated my LTD. This does not sound right to me. According to my employer, I am on leave and still an employee at this point. Is my employer responsible to take me back and find me a position that I can do with my restrictions, or can they dismiss me? Wow. Interesting question. There's a lot to unpack there, and clearly there's an employment component to this as well. Remember, at our firm, fortunately for us and our clients, we have disability lawyers, which would be us, my team, and we also have employment lawyers. So any employment questions, I encourage you to reach out to our firm to have a consultation with one of the employment lawyers. But on the LTD side, I will say this. An insurance company cannot tell you that you have to quit your current position with your employer. They cannot do that. Um, They can terminate your claim when it gets to the any occupation phase if they believe that you are capable of working in another occupation. Now, that doesn't mean that they're correct, right? That's when we get involved to argue and fight that denial. But in this case, the person has been working as a field equipment installer. Now they say to him, you can go work as a person answering phones in a call center. Mm -hmm. One of the big questions for me is, if that were to be the case, does that job pay roughly the same as the LTD benefit amount? Are you able to do it? Considering that you're 30 years of field equipment installer, which is a very physical job, are you able to perform the duties of this sedentary occupation for which you probably have no training? So I've already got big issues about whether this insurance company is correcting their denial, which I don't believe they are. So you probably have a claim to pursue. In terms of employment issues, should the employer accommodate you? One would say yes, that there is a duty on the employer to accommodate somebody. Um, If they were to dismiss you, Again, reach out to our employment team and they can definitely assist in providing you with your options as to how to proceed. But on the LTD side, if the insurer denies you, please reach out to us. But just reading this, I'm questioning whether, firstly, you have the capacity to do this job. Secondly, whether you've got the education training experience to do it. And thirdly, whether it will pay you roughly the same as the LTD benefit amount. Good answer. Quick one for a lengthy email for sure, pal. we got another one coming up after that, uh, which is interesting as well. But first, we'll take a short break. Your emails may get on a future show. How do you send them? Help at disabilityrights.ca. That is the way. The phone call directly, one 821 5900 More of the Disability Law Show just ahead. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome back to the Disability Law Show. A few minutes to go. Martin Willems is your guy outside this hour. And, uh, well, during as well, you want to send an email along to Martin and his team anytime. Uh, they can handle it. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number and option one 821 5900 Okay, 
going through the emails here, pal. We got a big pile. Let's get to this one. Uh, says Martin, I've been on LTD for approximately 39 months for chronic pain and generalized anxiety disorder. My doctor has indicated to my insurance company that my limitations are permanent. However, just now, my insurance company is sending me to an independent functional capacity evaluation with an occupational therapist. How will this evaluation affect my benefits? Can they return me to work or cut off my benefits? Sadly, yes. They can cut off your benefits. Can they return you to work? That's a different question. Remember, the insurance company's job, their role here, their obligation is to assess your LTD benefits claim and to pay you benefits if it is approved. Here, it has been approved for 39 months. So clearly, the person writing this email is in the any occupation phase. It further says, my doctor has indicated to my insurer that my limitations are permanent. The issues here would be chronic pain and generalized anxiety disorder. Now the insurance company, and this happens a lot when there's a big turnover at the insurer. Some new, very energetic case manager has <laughs> now got it involved in the claim and is thinking, how are we going to get this person back to work? How are we going to um, potentially terminate this claim? They're sending the person for an independent functional capacity evaluation with an occupational therapist. I've said before what I think about things, and I'll try and be as diplomatic as I can. A FCE is something that measures your functional capacity. In other words, they may put you through a battery of tests, right. see what your capacity is to do certain things. I do not see how that in any way is going to be measuring your generalized anxiety disorder. So, because that seems to be a part of the disability here as well, as well as chronic pain. I don't believe that pain can be objectively measured through this process as well. So once insurance companies do this, quite often there may be a denial that will follow. Please do not accept it at face value if your claim is denied on this. The reason why the insurance company is conducting or is requesting an independent functional capacity evaluation to be conducted is to evaluate from their perspective whether you have functional restrictions and limitations that prevent you from working now in any occupation. So when you ask how will this evaluation affect your benefits, the insurance company is actively investigating whether there is function at your end which will allow them to deny your claim. So that is a very possible outcome. Not to say that that will definitely happen, but that clearly is what is being investigated at this time. Can they force you to return to work? They cannot force you to do anything, but they can cut off your benefits. And if that were to happen, again, functional capacity evaluations, I'm sure, have a role to play. But in terms of a generalized anxiety disorder and chronic pain, I hear this a lot as well from people who live with chronic fatigue syndrome, right? The insurance company want, wants to push them through functional capacity evaluations, where in many instances, that is a contraindication for somebody who lives with chronic fatigue syndrome or malignant epimelitis. These processes, these assessments may lead to a worsening or an exacerbation of the person's condition. And furthermore, I don't believe that they are appropriate to measure fatigue. That's my opinion. I do believe that if that is to happen and if your claim is to be denied, that you very likely will have a recourse in terms of 
pursuing a legal claim if that is the case, especially if your doctors continue to support that you are unable to work, even in any other occupation. Do you have a duty to attend these? In this case, have a discussion with the doctor, your treating physician, whether there's any risks to your condition if you were to engage in the process like this. If the doctor says yes, have the doctor reduce it to writing and send it to the insurance company because whatever the insurance company does at their end has to be reasonable. You have a duty to attend independent medical examinations. So let's be clear about that. These policies do provide that you have to attend it. And the insurance company has a right to investigate the claim and to have you assessed. But it all has to be done on a reasonable basis. So if it is that this the particular assessment has the risk that the person's condition may worsen to the extent that they, that whatever gains they may have made have now been eroded and that their disability is going to be now even longer than what it may have anticipated to be, you don't want to have the person proceed in a process like that if it carries that risk. And at the insurance side, they should not want to force you to do that because they very likely will have you on claim for a longer period of time or it may strengthen your, your, your evidence to submit that you remain disabled for a longer period of time. So I know I've had this discussion before and we've mentioned this and made, given this advice. If there is such an assessment that is pending and you've got questions, by all means, you're welcome to reach out to us and we can have a discussion with you as to what your rights are and what your obligations are as well, because you do have some obligations under the policy. All right, we only got a couple minutes left, which is perfect timing. We go from the lengthy to the very short email. Quite simply this, is paranoia considered a disability for LTD, Martin? All policies provide that if you have an illness or a condition or an injury that prevents you from performing the duties of your occupation, then you, you should be paid disability benefits. So it doesn't matter what the illness is. Paranoia is an illness and is considered a psychiatric illness. And if it is preventing you from performing the duties of your own occupation and you've got the medical support, then yes, it is a disability. It depends on what the evidence provides for. Does your doctor agree that you are unable to work? And it doesn't matter what the illness is. So I've had this question before, um, believe it or not, uh, with respect to paranoia or schizophrenia, I suppose it's very similar. If you, and I'm sure you're seeing a psychiatrist as well, if you're thinking about submitting a claim, get your doctors involved, make sure you see them regularly, report your restrictions, limitations, and have the doctor support you in applying for LTD if it is the case that you are still, if you are unable to perform your duties. Always boils down to the doctor and the medical opinion. Your medical team is, is the one you got to rely on, right? 100%. Your medical team needs to be involved in your treatment and also in to support your claim because if you don't see them, they will not have the medical information to support and provide an informed opinion. And with that, we are out of time, but continue to send those emails along. May appear in a future show, and it'll get answered regardless. So uh, so go ahead and do that. Uh, help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. And one more time for that phone call to reach Martin and his team, one 821 5900 And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in right here to the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.